This is the Mentors for Military podcast. So, hey guys, this is Robert, and welcome to the Mentors for Military podcast. As we do each week, I'd like to begin by thanking our donors. It's through your support that we're able to bring you this podcast each week. And thank you to Stephanie Lincoln of Fireteam Whiskey for being one of our largest donors. If you like the content, you're interested in supporting the show, you too can become a patron at patreon.com backslash mentors, the number four M-I-L. That's Patreon, Patreon, patreon.com backslash mentors, the number four M-I-L. Now on to this week's episode. We decided to do a two-part series on women in special operations. The first part is focused on the highly charged and recent news of a female soldier completing the U.S. Army Special Forces Assessment Selection, also known as SFAS. The second show will focus on women attending Ranger School and then some joining 75th Ranger Regiment. On this episode, the focus is on a recently published U.S. Army announcement that a female soldier completed the Special Forces Assessment Selection course for the U.S. Army Special Forces and will now begin her pipeline to becoming a Special Forces soldier, or what others call a Green Beret, so named after the headgear worn by these elite warriors. I'm joined by some heavy lifters on this episode. One is a standing member of our cadre of hosts and the other recent guests of this podcast. I'll ask Andrea and then Mike to each spend a moment sharing a, a brief background of their military experience and especially highlight anything that may help our listeners understand if you have a specific background that fits with today's topic. So first off, we'll begin with you, Andrea. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me again. You bet. So so I was in the U.S. Navy. Um, I was an intelligence officer on active duty for seven years um, and started off fairly, fairly conventional, uh, served on a ship on amphibious squadron staff. Um, and then about 18 months into that tour, things started to become a little bit less traditional, as sometimes happens when people find out that you have language skills or uh, special programs open up. So I screened for special warfare uh, Navy Special Warfare Program about 18 months into my first tour. Um, it was for a job that was not open to junior officers. It was a warrant officer position. They couldn't find any warrant officers. And so they started to look for uh, junior officers and screened, finished up my tour and started to do some on-the-job training with the um, human Marines who were deployed with us, um, left that deployment halfway through to pick up my CI Humit course. Um, and then went through the MAGTAF CI human course with the Marines. Our course had a 73% attrition rate and went from that straight into the middle of a workup. I showed up to my cross-functional troop when they were about halfway through their workup, came in as their CI human officer, and then deployed with a cross-functional troop um, out to... U.S. Central Command uh, moved around to a couple of different outposts. Um, on that deployment, I ended up officially being parked in Bahrain by the end of it. It was pretty mobile, working both with U.S. and foreign special operations units and came back. Uh, eventually became, there was a little bit of a reorg and uh, an unplanned loss within my unit. And I ended up becoming the analysis and targeting troop commander for a special operations unit that um, its name is public, but most people don't know it exists because there are only two of them. And yeah, was in charge of four teams that were in various stages of doing workups um, or deployment. 
um, deployed to seven different countries. I had about 61 people working for me and doing a variety of roles. We were what were called combat support enablers um, on my team and uh, had to do, I mean, we had to, we did all the same training, um, all the same requirements once we were on the team as, as the SEALs that we worked with and did that for, I was at that command for three years. Awesome. Thanks, Andrea. Mike? I'm a retired command sergeant major. I spent 25 years in special forces. I went through the special forces qualification course in 1994. Um, throughout that time, I, I, I have a lot of team time, team sergeant time, company sergeant major time, and finally the battalion command sergeant major of 2nd Battalion 10th Special Forces Group uh, here at Fort Carson. I've got an 06 level uh, CSM command at SOC 4 Lebanon. Um, just to, to kind of give an overview of my, my experience in special forces, but most specifically, I think I was an instructor for small unit tactics in phase two of the special forces qualification course at Camp McCall from 2000 to 2003, which gives me, I think, a, a, a little bit of insight into how the training and how, uh, how selection and training goes for, for guys, at least in the initial phases of the Q course. And then in 2006 to 2007, I was our regimental strength manager or human resources command. So at a different level, I, I kind of understand the, the manning requirements and, and how we, you know, create a pipeline or a production model to produce special forces soldiers to meet the requirements of the special forces regiment and for USASOC. Uh, and I think, you know, kind of later uh, after, after experiencing all that, I, I have had some pretty uh, fantastic, awesome, capable, competent and qualified women working within the commands that, that I've worked with, uh, you know, and, and plus my, I think, engagements with Andrea and Kat Kalen here on the, on the, uh, on the podcast shifted my belief on what, what, what women's contributions within the special operations community could be and should be uh, from being a very young, very junior uh, operator to being, you know, more of a senior leader. And I think that what you see today in a lot of this misinformation that's going around, and, and I'm going to step on some toes, uh, is a lot of that, that I think, junior opinion. A lot of these young guys with two or three years on an ODA, maybe one or two combat tours, and they think they know everything there is to be about being a special forces guy. And um, well, I'll kick it back before I start, Robert. So yeah. You wanna, no, you know. I think that's good stuff. So uh, ironically, you were visiting the U.S. Army you know, JFK Special Warfare Center in school this week for a very different reason when the news came out and was made available to the public. Well, I, it's not necessarily a different reason. I mean, the reason is recruiting and, and we've got a significant problem both within the Army and, and, and the, the commander of USAREC was there to discuss the, uh, the challenges that, that the Army recruiting has. We're trying to grow to a 500,000 man Army right now. Um, and some of the challenge they have growing from about where we are now to get the extra, I think, 85,000 in to, uh, to make a 500,000-man army. Um, and, and, you know, SOF is a slice of that. So if you look at, at everything that's, that's available within the pool to, to recruit both initial uh, accessions for training into the 18 X-ray program and the, the um, 75th Ranger Regiment, 160th PSYOPs and Civil Affairs – there's a there that scales down that available pool even more. Uh, so so there's a I mean, I, the topic, I think, is relevant to what we're going to talk about today. Sure. Um, but but yeah. So, I mean, I first want to say that this is not a conversation about whether women should or should not be in special forces. 
right? That decision was made four years ago, two USASOC commanders ago, by Lieutenant General Cleveland. We are well past the the should they be, will they be uh, conversation. And and I think as leaders in the Army, when a commander tells you to go out and execute, man, that's exactly what we do. We're very good at at, at doing that um, within the military. Um, and, and secondly, my uh, kind of a caveat, all of the people out there uh, with all the negativity that I've seen on some of the social media, and, and there's so much of it, if you haven't been there, if you haven't been and graduated SFAS, if you haven't graduated the Special Forces Qualification Course, if you haven't served on an ODA, potentially if you haven't taught at SWIC, shut the fuck up until you've accomplished something in your life that is comparable to what the rest of us have accomplished. Like it or not, this woman has accomplished something that very few men in our country have done and very few men within our country are even capable of. Uh, not even a country. Very few men within the military community are going to be capable of. The path that this woman has is incredibly hard. And I would not want to be, I would not want to be her right now. I mean, I'm not, I'm not near tough enough. You guys, you've seen this, the posts that I've made on social media about that. Um, the odds are completely stacked against her. A lot of people pass SFAS and fail the Q course. A lot of people pass SFAS and recycle the Q course before they ever get through. If she makes it, her life on an ODA is going to be under a microscope. She's going to have to have incredibly thick skin, as we all do. There are a lot of gay jokes that go on in, in a team room, and, if, and it offends people, and they end up getting flushed out, and they don't make it on an ODA. Um, but if, if she doesn't have thick skin, if she doesn't you know, assimilate into, into that lifestyle, then her life is going to be very, very difficult. And, and I think that uh, the standards, like it or not, the standards for her are going to be higher than they are for everybody else. That being said, when, when the article came out, I know Robert sent it to me on what? Thursday? Thursday, yeah, as soon as it came out. Wednesday or Thursday night, whenever I, I looked at the article, I'm like, well, we, we knew it was happening. There have been several women that had gone through the course and, and not made it, uh, or at least through selection. Um, that was a hot topic the next morning at the conference. Uh, and, and I was kind of buzzing. But, you know, amazingly, what, what, what I didn't get out of anybody, these are all senior-level Green Berets in there or retired guys. There were SOG guys in there. What I didn't have anyone come up to uh, come up to me and talk about was, was anything negative. Everybody there, and I'm talking guys from the Vietnam era to, to, to current you know, guys working in a regiment right now, were very, very positive about this, this woman's accomplishment. And I think we should celebrate that. But I, I, I do have some friends that are in a command group at the Special Warfare Center, so I was able to talk to them. And, and to dispel any rumors, first of all, um, you know, the, the right up front, what they told me is she fucking crushed every physical event. Well, I want, I want to talk about that just for a minute before you get into the specifics of that, because I know you want to hit a little bit more on that topic. But several months ago, anyway, there was an open letter reported and rumored to be written by members of the schoolhouse cadre. It stated openly their concerns and how the standards to becoming special forces was being lowered and that many who shouldn't have passed earned their long tab. They were really concerned about this. It went all over social media. There was even podcasts and everything on this topic. You know, we got to stop this. Now the rumors are floating around, supposedly from members of the cadre there at the school, that this female soldier completed SFAS but failed to pass team and navigation course. What's, what's your thoughts on these two things, well, Mike? Let, let, me address the, let me address the first point. that The, the conversation or the, the, the topic that standards have been lowered um, is not new. 
right? And and again, that goes back to to very young, very junior, you know, not very experienced senior soft operators working in Q course. That, that's who we have teaching SFAS. That's who we have teaching SUT. I'm not saying that to degrade these guys. They're fantastic guys. I was one of those guys in 2000, and and in 2000. We, we, we had a situation come up right and, and, and just after 9-11, um, when we went from running four classes a year to running eight classes a year and from pushing about 175 students through the phase that I worked at to pushing 350 students through the phase that I worked at. And, and everybody that came through were shitbags, everyone, right? Nobody was good enough. Nobody would I trust to be on ODA with. Um, and, and, and we argued and complained and, and said standards are being lowered, standards are being lowered. Well, if you look at it over the course of history, what the, and they, they, they listened to us. Um, General Boykin was the, was the commandant at the time. He came out and he brought a, little, a lot of old Vietnam vets out. If you look at over the course of history, the standards that we had in 2001, 2002 after 9-11 were so much higher than the standards these guys had before their first deployment into Vietnam, Right. So if you look at it, we'd added so much stuff to the course. We'd added two weeks to the course. We'd added marksmanship to the course. We'd added air ops to the course. Um, the standards for training and, it, and the expectations of students coming out of at least the phase that I worked in was, was incredibly high. Um, my problem was is by evaluating them on my own scale, not on a scale that's published by the Special Warfare Center, which is very hard to define, right? But by evaluating them on my own scale, none of them met the standard. And I would tell you, and Robert, you've heard me say this, uh, a, a number of times that I think the standard for, for Green Berets, you know, like fucking Spartans in Sparta, should be so fucking high that most men will not make it. That, that's what I believe. Um, obviously, if we had my standard in the Special Forces Qualification course, we'd never make mission. Right. Hell, I probably wouldn't have made it. Let's be honest. Right. So, but there are so many good dudes who came through during that time who worked for me later as, as members of my ODA, as, as guys in my company, team sergeants for me as a, as a company sergeant major and a battalion CSM that are awesome, fantastic guys. So the only thing I can think of is when I was a young E7 working out at Camp McCall, I was just wrong. I was wrong. There's no other way to put it that, that the production model we have and the Q course is so long that we weed out the majority of those guys who, who don't have what it takes, um, I'm going to have to change my vernacular, aren't I? So those media, uh, the, the, those guys, and those men and women who, who, who don't have what it takes to perform the missions that we ask them to do all the time. Um, so it's the same conversation that, that we had back then. It also and, happened as well in uh, 18 x-rays came on board, right? That's one. That's what I'm talking about. That's yeah. 2001. That's the X-ray program. And the first X-ray program was was miserable. I could tell you all about that. We've changed the the criteria for getting into the pipeline. Right. Um. But but you know it, it's the same conversation and it, and it, it's cyclic. I think. And as as these guys go back and they become team sergeants and they see that they can mold these these people that we selected for the most part. Now I'll tell you this. I've thrown a lot of guys out of group too. I I don't think that's changed. If you talk to any battalion and group CSM, they'll tell you they've thrown guys out of group. There are guys who, who get through the pipeline and they don't fit the mold that we expect. Character flaws, you know, poor physical fitness, whatever, they, they, can, they can be okay for a limited period of time. And then when they come out and they're given some freedom, uh, they just don't, they don't work very well. So, you know, thanks for trying. There's still an opportunity for you to serve if you're not a true character flaw. 
and we send them back to the regular army. I've done that several times. Now they still so, wear the uh, the long tab, right? No, I, no, it depends. No, we take we take tabs from people. Okay. Um, we do take tab, particular character flaws. We take tabs from people all the time. Um, but you know, if if it's just an aspect of you're not cutting it every day, and and, and again, back to standards on ODA, and where this woman is going to be challenged, like everybody else, it, it is a contest every day on an ODA. You are competing with the guys around you. You don't want to be last. It's a great environment to work in. It's truly being a tactical athlete. Um, but, but that's the mentality we have. And, and, and I think that there's some men who just don't fit that. And thank you for trying. Yeah, you made it. You're going to go back out into the force and hopefully, honestly, hopefully they wear the tab. They represent us well and are recruiting, you know, poster force everywhere that they go because we've treated them well. They just didn't fit. Um, but again, same conversation that we've had. I talked to General Sontag about this on Thursday afternoon after observing some of the training. And, um, and, and I said, these guys are so much smarter than I was when I went through the course. Um, I, I was able to, to, to watch some 18 Delta training. I was, I was able to watch, talk to some of the, some of, uh, the engineer school where, where I went through uh, and, and just listen to, to what these guys are talking about. Then I got to sit in in language training into a conversation of two language instructors and three kids uh, going through the, 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 the program and just nonstop conversation in Russian. And, and I'm like, this is not what I got in 1994. So, and I walked right out and I told him, I say, boss, this is, this is fantastic. These guys are better than me. They're smarter than me. I hope they're physically fit. I hope they can shoot and they're trustworthy. I don't know that. That's the other piece of it that, that, that we always have to ask about. But Already, I'm telling you, they're better than I was, and, and I could take these guys into unit, and I could I could train them, and I could use them, and uh and the question comes, and I knew it was coming, man. So why can't we teach them to do this at Camp McCall? If you're saying that about these guys in Language Lab and, and in the 18 Delta program, why can't we get you know? And it's the same question. The best trainers in the world can't train these guys to do a simple task, which is recon rate and ambush. It's very simple. I mean, let's be honest. Don't have to have a high GT score to go in the infantry. I'm going to step on some people's toes, including my son. I hope you're listening to this. <laughs> you do not need a high GT score to get infantry. But we expect you to do that very, very well. Well, and I think the answer is, and at least the answer I gave the CG was, you know, it, it's uh, the same question I had when we try to push all these people through after 9-11. Um, there's this aspect of I want to keep it elite and I want to keep it small and I want to keep it more like me. Um, but the army, the regiment and USASOC have moved on to such a large mission that, that, that picture that I have, particularly as a young guy in group, that picture that I have is not what the army is providing us. So we've got to take people who meet the, the aptitude that are competent, that are trustworthy, can shoot physically fit. Um, and, and we've got to make those people into green berets. We've got to teach them so many skills that they didn't have to teach me. Uh, that I had no idea until this last week, uh, like this right here, face-to-face -face conversation. Kids today in the Army can't do it. They can't have a face-to-face -face conversation. They're, they're, they're buried in their cell phones, just like the, the kids I teach in high school. Um, so there, there's so many skills they're spending the time to teach them to do the things that we want them to do downrange. Um, you know, SUT is an important part of that. Don't get me wrong. But it's, it's uh, we should be able to teach them, Right. We should. So they've incorporated a lot of different things in the course that allows people to fail with, and, and come back, retrain, and then try it again uh, with, with, with help, 
which is what we do in education. And we, we, we expect to push people to their point of failure. And if you got, the, I, I, I wrote all about this a couple of years ago, but if, if you push people to their point of failure, right, that's where you should be training. And I took that not from anything that I read really outside in the civilian world and education, but I took that from a model used by, you know, the, the, the special mission units uh, in the United States Army. They train at a point of failure. They push to the point of risk where, where, where things are dangerous and, and mission is going to fail. And, and in training, that's where you want to do that. So if we're training these kids to where they are not being successful in the Q course, we're pushing them to that level on SFAS. And then we say, this is your point of failure. We're going to bring you back. We're going to provide you some retraining. We're going to put you back into the course and you perform better then we're successful as trainers. We're successful as educators. That brings me to this particular individual. First time she went through SFAS, 27-day non-select. 27-day non-select. I don't know. You told me, Robert, that she failed. You heard she failed land nav uh, and that she failed team. something else. There's no failing team events, first of all. There's just either you suck or you're good. Um, I mean, they all suck, right? So you, you're either, you're either, you know, you can com, com, um, contribute or you can't. And I'll tell you that there were two particular team events um, where I did not contribute when I was in SFAS. And it was a, it was a, it was a joke for years after that with buddies of mine that I went through SFAS and went through the Q course, but they would laugh about my hand strength because I'm going to give you two events, pails of pain, right? And everybody knows what I'm talking about. They either do sand babies or pails of pain out on the, on the uh, rifle range at Camp McCall. So pails of pain and, uh, the ammo crate carry destroyed my hand strength to what I could not carry, at least the way they wanted me to, I could not carry those two items. Uh, and I dropped things and I spilled sand and it caused my team to go back and forth and do more uh, repetitions on this event. The events are designed to tax you, to find weakness, right? So what they do? They tell me, you've got bad hand strength. Before you come back to the Q course, you need to work on that. Well, today they have a program and this program is called PIT. I don't know what PIT stands for. I wish I would have asked this week, but, but they take people who are struggling in some of those events and they put them into pit. And then after this, this program is over, they go back into selection and Q course and, and, and they see how they do this particular, uh, female soldier, same thing, 27 day non-select comes back. She goes through the program and then she goes through selection again. And the words that I have from a very close friend of mine is she fucking crushed every physical event the second time she went through. And, and I think that's great. And, and to the point that he had to po point out to me that there were a couple of members from 75th Ranger Regiment who did not. Right. They went on their first time through. They did not. Uh, I, he didn't tell me if they were selects or non-selects. But I, I think that it's it's I think it's a success story, male or female. It doesn't matter that there's a program in place that takes the available population to, to serve in our regiment and identify weaknesses, and then put them through a training course that allows them to get better. And there's a lot of that that you see going through the Q course. So what about the rumor then, Mike, that um, all the cadre were totally against this thing, were actually stating that she should be kicked out, and it was a colonel and the stroke of a pen that allowed her to remain? That's not true. Well, the first part is probably true. I, I, <laughs> I'll tell you that they, they probably do believe that, because that's what I believed when I worked out there. I, I mean, I sat on every board when we put people out of, of SUT. And I was adamant. I was animated. I would make my case. And at the end of the day, my battalion commander could sign off on it. They get a recycle. They get never to return or they move forward. And a lot of times they send guys forward. Um, I'm just one voice. 
right? I was a senior instructor. I had a bunch of guys that worked for me, but I was just one voice uh, that, that, that was making that case. Um, and I didn't work at SFAS. I assume it's a similar type of program, but you know, about assumptions, I'm, I'm not positive how they do it. Everybody who has contact with that soldier will write a, 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 an assessment, right? They'll write an assessment of that day or that event. Um, that's what we did. And then all of that is, is, is reviewed before, before board. Now, the difference between the boards that I sat on were just people that we'd identified for relief or recycle. And the instructors would, would do that back, back when I worked there. In SFAS, every packet goes before board. Every packet. Roster you, number, no name, no sex. No name, yeah. no name, no gender, no ethnicity, no race. So what you see is, is a soldier's performance against an event, right? And then they've got a, they've got a, they've got a standard. That standard is a sliding scale, okay, because you have to get X amount out of the course to meet, you know, input to the Special Forces Qualification Court to meet mission for that year. So I will tell you that I, I have seen the scale slide way down when the weather got really bad at SFAS. And then you'll see that in the course. When they show up, those guys will not do very good. Um, and then when you have good weather or you have a really good group of people together, that, that sliding standard can be a little bit higher because you only have to get so many out to meet your, your entry requirements in ATARs. Um, but I, I think, yeah, for this one, I mean, I don't know what they're – what they had to put in. I don't, I don't, I don't know what weather was like. I, I do know that on these boards, um, and it was different again than, than, than when I worked there, but on these boards and on this board that happened last week, there were representatives, senior level representatives from the special forces groups sit on the boards. Um, and, and I know that because one of my buddies who was there was on the board. So without, without knowing race, gender, ethnicity, um, I was going to say MOS. I don't know that they don't know their MOS because you, you may know former 11 series. I would want to know that. I would yeah, ask. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, they see this packet, they see how they perform. They see everything that the um, cadre have written about that particular candidate. Um, and then they make the assessment and they rank them. Right. And that's how you get the sliding scale. And, and from what I understand, this woman, again, words from somebody who was there, this woman outperformed 200 men. And this is the reason why they call it an assessment, right? Instead of, because as I understand it, it really is an assessment of a candidate to move forward. And that's why it's called special forces assessment selection. Right. I mean, you do get a certificate, right? When you pass the certificate. (laughs) But I mean, it's, it's, uh, it it is, it's just to see if you can, and every one of the units have it. The regiment has it. Uh, You've got RASP, RASP 1 and RASP 2 for, for the Ranger Regiment. You've got Green Platoon for um, uh, 160th Aviation, and each of the civil affairs and PSYOPs have their own assessment before they select people to be uh, trained within their pipelines. What about the uh, the statements then, you know, when you say that she outperformed or, you know, did really excellent within her physical requirements, you know, is this, are you basing this as a standard against their male counterparts? Or are you saying that she was able to crush it on the female PT aspect of this? And so therefore she was a, you know, superior as, as it relates to females, but when it re- relates to males that she was not nearly as competitive if, if she would have been judged that way or, or are they at SFAS being more or less graded on the same scale? It doesn't matter again, gender. It's about passing the course. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the PT standard is for, for, for women. Hell, I don't know what it is for women in the army anymore, but, but I don't know if they have a different standard to get into the course 
to SFAS. I just don't know. So even um, if they, even if it's just to get in, that's it. At that point, it ends, and now you're going to be training the well, same. I mean, let's be honest. To get into the SFAS, you got to have a 230 APAT score, and that's pretty fucking sorry, right? So again, back to my own standard. If if you're not performing at the at the 90 percent above level every day on an ODA, then you're failing. You know, I, I think you're failing our nation's objectives. So, you know, a 230, uh, somebody who shows up and, and thank you. Thanks for wasting our TDY time. Get back on a bus and, and go back to Fort Bragg from Camp McCall. And we used to send people home like that. Um, so I, I don't know. I would assume and somebody who knows may be able to correct that. I would assume she should have to score 230. Now, that that's in recruiting, Robert. Right. When yeah. they show up and they and they go through the cube because we used to put people on a bus and send them away. They, we, we, were, we were, we got in some trouble or a buddy of mine was a commander out there. We got in some trouble for that. Um, so, you know, they have, they, they're evaluated across that whole 27 day timeline. So they take a PT test, they do a pull-up test. Um, they, 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 they do military orienteering with a rucksack on, they do land navigation. Uh, they do team events and, and, and it's designed to show some attrition on your body over the course of the month. And it does, it does. They deprive you of sleep. They deprive you of, 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 um, you know, time to take care of your feet. Well, they, we, we eat, but I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't think they deprive you of too much food. It's not ranger school. Um, but I, you know, it, it comes back to the quote that, that a friend of mine made outperforms 200 men. And I, I think that if, I don't think that you look at that on the scale of women's APTF score versus men's APTF uh, score. I, I think you look at that on, I know for a fact that, Three members of the Ranger Regiment failed the pull-ups, which to me is personally embarrassing, right? If, if you are in our nation's premier military infantry force and you can't do 10 pull-ups uh, unless you have a you know, rotator, tough tear, rotator cuff tear, then I, I think you should probably spend some time you know, getting really, really close to the pull-up bar. Uh, but this, this woman outperformed them, right? They didn't pass that. Are we saying that those three members from the regiment – would not be good Green Berets because they can't do 10 pull-ups on this one day? I don't think so. I think they're probably trustworthy, competent, can shoot, and physically fit. And and I can remember a time when I couldn't do 10 pull-ups, and uh, somebody taught me how to do good pull-up routines, and I can do hundreds of pull-ups now. Not kipping, by the way. The only way to do a pull-up, all the <laughs> way up, all the way back down, slow and controlled. But I, 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 think, I think that's where we are, man. I, I, I don't – I don't know. I, I think that uh, that everybody's gonna 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 say what they want to say about it. And it goes back to what I said at the beginning. If you're a Green Beret, if you've got a vested interest in this, and you're concerned about a woman coming to your team, I get it. There are a lot of other issues that that are going to have to be addressed as leadership challenges by team sergeants and detachment commanders, company sergeants, major and company commanders. I get it. That's all going to happen. We've been here before, right? We we've been here before. I heard the same thing. When I was working in the Pentagon, um, and they said, you know, we're going to allow gays to openly serve in the military. Uh, okay, is he or she competent, physically fit? Can they shoot? Can are they, are they trustworthy? Uh, I think that today nobody talks about that anymore. Nobody's talking about that. There, there are there are gay people in ODAs right now. There were when I was. A good friend of mine, you know, is gay and 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 served honorably back in the nineties. Uh, on a special forces detachment. Um, and, and again, shoot, trustworthy, competent, physically fit. I think those are four things that we should ask of every soldier in our combat arms 
And, and it doesn't matter what gender you are. If you fit that mold and you can meet the, the high level of, of fitness and expectations that the regiment has for you, then we should allow you the opportunity to serve. And just to be clear, I mean, you just got out just a couple of years ago. This is not something like you've been out since 94 or since 2000 or something of this nature. You I, haven't been I gone. Posted, yeah. I posted photographic evidence this week that I was the DZSO on D-Day. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got out in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. So, Andrea, when you hear of these types of news, you know, this type of news, especially as a, a former, you know, female that worked within special operations, and and I know that even still there are a lot of females out there that are working in special operations, but they may be CST or, you know, culture support team or stuff like that, that people believe, well, they're not being held to the same standards. They're not having to do the same things. How, how do you kind of feel about that when you hear those people making those types of generalized statements or stereotyping? I mean, the first thing that I want to say is like, get with the program. I mean, women have been, I think a lot of people forget that women have been, the military basically looked for loopholes to put women into these units starting about 25 years ago. Um, I think even earlier in the early nineties and some of these units, um, I have better history of what happened in the Navy than I do certainly in the army. But even when I was doing my master's thesis research, I came across a number of women who were serving in, in special alongside special forces or, um, you know, similar units like in 93 yeah actually rudy Um, who was going to be on the podcast uh but he wasn't able to make it mentioned to me about a young lady by the name of amy that served with them in the type of capacity that you're talking about and she did every bit of what the dudes did now you can only as a leader in any situation whether it's all dudes or it's intermixed or whatever you can only move shoot move and communicate as as quickly as the the least qualified or the, uh, you know, so everybody's going to bring strengths and weaknesses. Uh, but so you can't, you know, sure. She, uh, may have not had some of the physical abilities or something of that nature, but she was excellent in another category where a male was not as strong. And so that's kind of what you're, you know, it's about, uh, everybody identifying the strengths and weaknesses of their team. Right. Yeah. I mean, my, my last CO who's a Navy SEAL was like, look, you know, we have five foot three SEALs. We have six foot seven SEALs. You know, that five foot three guy is not going to be the first person through the door. Like, No ever. way. No way. There's right? like five foot three SEALs. They don't oh, allow yeah. those. I thought they were giants. I was taller than my XO. <laughs> they, they grow them later. Yeah. yeah. Genetically modified them. Yeah. 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 I'm five foot seven and I was taller than my XO. Um, I mean, it's, the, the we had one we had one standard for every single person to enter um SRT and male or female and you either met it or you didn't <laughs> it's pretty clear you either met it or you didn't and if you met it you passed the first hurdle to join the team and if you didn't you didn't and some people could come back and they did and you know, made it in on their second or third try and within, the, frankly, within the team, this is going to, I'm going to step on a lot of toes. The standard to be a combat support was a lot higher than to be an operator because, I mean, we were seeing, even though they would spend millions of dollars, this and this, this again, it's like culturally you were seen as expendable. Um, and so there was a lot less time put, put into bringing you up to a particular standard. Um, you either met it or you didn't. <laughs> Cat's told us the same thing when she yeah. was on the CSTs, right? They they were, and some of that may be internally generated. I've got to be this much better so that that I'm seen as equal. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that I think you're right. I, I think that we put unrealistic expectations on some of our supporters. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I knew the standard was a lot higher for me. And the, and, the, and the part that really I find, so I'll, I'll say a couple things. First of all, the fact that a lot of these programs have been special programs or have been like done through loopholes, essentially erases the, the history of these of these individuals, it, it erases the history of their accomplishments. So then when we get to be 2018, get to 2018, people are like acting like this is the first time it's happened when it's actually been going on for decades. This is just, okay, a formal recognition um, and finally, you know, get policy catching up with practice. Um, the, the other thing is, is we also have to think about culturally why there's so much resistance. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I had someone tell me I couldn't do something they were watching me do. Mm -hmm. And um, I distinctly remember sitting in a, a I, don't, I don't know if, if the guys were definitely very drunk. Um, I don't remember if we were a bar or if we were. Whoa, like, whoa, whoa, out. whoa, whoa. Now and, you're being culturally biased. Right. <laughs> um, we were all like. I don't remember, if it, I don't, it was on deployment and the guys were super drunk and one of them were like, was like, well, I mean, Andrea, like arguing with me about why women couldn't be SEALs and I'm just asking them questions about, I was like, so you've seen women on this team do, they're like, okay, what are the standards? I'm like, you've seen women on this team do all of those things. Like, yeah, but you're different. I'm like, we're all different. This is literally the point. One percent of the country serves. One percent joins special operations. Like, that's the point. We're all fucking unicorns. <laughs> and right. that's that's what you want in those units. And and so the the question that I ask is, where is your discomfort really coming from? Mm -hmm. And um, that I, I that was one of those things that I've ended up taking on as being my job because Otherwise, I would have, um, you know, female female collectors, female enablers who are like not being allowed to go on bases to do their jobs um, because like some team, some troop commander or even junior who was a platoon commander thought that like she had cooties and were like, oh, no, we can't accommodate females on this base. I'm like, you're fighting ISIS. Like, figure it out. Yeah. And the whole th thing behind, well, women are going to have menstrual cycles. Well, there's pills that can stop that, you know, physically. Um, there, there's nothing that says that a woman has to have a menstrual cycle every month. And so, you know, you can go five or six months, you know. So there goes your whole, you know, you know deployment what, period, you know. You know what, though? I, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say this. Periods are not that scary. <laughs> All right. Like, even if I'm out, I, I, can, I can take care of myself. I'll figure it out. Believe me. What? Like... What about? And, and, I'm not going to touch that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like no, no. But it's one of these. It's one of these. This is one of these things that I don't know why that comes up. Where it's like we've all like we're all human. We can all take care of ourselves. We made it this far. Like I, I mean, I've got a poop in an SR site, right? That's pretty gross. Next to a guy, when you can't get out of the site, and you got a poop in a bag in an SR site, and you got to keep that bag full of poop in your rucksack. <laughs> so I mean, I don't know of anything grosser than that. Yeah. Well, I can't touch that either. So what about uh, what about this whole thing of, you know, well, you know, if you're going to start allowing females in this type of combat situation, then you're going to have, you know, the same problems that we had with the CSTs. And again, those were very small numbers, but yet they seemed to make them very large that had sexual relationships with guys on the ODA. And uh, so the way I look at it is, is anytime inside a wire, you you put 
males and females together, sure, you're going to have that, whether it's back here in the States or it's on a deployment. But I do not believe when bullets are firing downrange that all of a sudden two people are going to find some location to have sexual intercourse. Yeah, this is absolutely absurd. Like, so I do think we don't talk enough about how much it actually happens and the amount of shame and secrecy that goes on with what actually happens prevents us from having a conversation about how most people are professional when they need to be professional. Um, And yeah, I mean, you're going to, in a situation like that, you're going to, you're going to fall to your level of training and like, you're, you're going to be professional. And you're going to execute. I don't even like. I don't even know why people are th- thinking that all of a sudden people who've had a relationship are going to be less professional when they're being shot at. Yeah, I think I think there's already a model for that all over the military. I mean, there are, there are men and women in other types of units who have, you know, ha- have have come together, had relationships, gotten married, had kids together. Um, there's the other side of it who the people in military units who have gotten together again. You know, co-gender military units have gotten together. That have, that have caused problems, there's been drama, and, and it probably causes a leadership problem for them. That's some of that stuff I was talking about up front. There are all kinds of issues that will come up with integration of women into ODAs that we have seen other places in the Army. Um, and, and, and the bottom line is, you know, if we really are the, the best, the most elite, the best trained guys in, in the military, we should be able to get over that shit. Yeah, and you know what? A lot of this is not a gender thing. I mean, people have, <laughs> like... The, there were there were male seals in my early, in my in my unit who were like real who were really gossipy and like did not want to work together and cause drama between themselves for the rest of the unit. And, right? and I, I'll tell you something else on deployments everywhere, combat deployments, um, you know, J sets places all. And I spent most of my time in Middle Eastern Europe, but I mean there are guys trying to score with local women, right? Guys on A teams who we who know better. Who, who know that it can jeopardize a mission, who sometimes have a family back home and bring stuff back home that, that makes yeah. the team look bad and everything. At no time, at no time in my history has I, have I ever seen that when somebody just pooped next to you in, in an SR site. So I, I, I think, honestly, <laughs> I think, put, it, put it in context. Put it in context, Robbie. We're nasty. We're, 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 we're out there. We're, we're, we're training hard. It's, it's gross. Um, I, I think that, it will happen. There are those men, right? There are probably those women. But but I, I think that, I mean, to say that that's going to be what we're evaluated on as, as integration of, of, of high quality performers into our units, I think that's selling the unit short. I want to bring up two points here because I want to get you guys' thoughts on them. One of them is about, you know, parity. And I think if there was greater parity throughout the military, and it may even go back to the draft, I even hear that type of thing come up. But it certainly as it relates to the physical aspects of men and women in the military, or at least that, again, people believe there is a perception that they are held to the same standards, and that may help. But I think what we may also be dealing with, and the second part of what I want you guys to talk about, is ego. Ego is a human trait. It's not in found in any other animal or beast or anything that's out there. It's a human trait. And it seems to be one of the things at this point that's really holding us back because some people just can't get past the ego. I'll, I'll talk about parody. And I, th- I think that if we had one standard, right, regardless of, of age, first of all, regardless of age, let's, let's start there. <laughs> um, you're going to start taking people out of the, out of the freight or a guy like me, is going to work so damn hard every day to be able to compete with those young guys, which is exactly what I did until I retired. 
And I, and I, I still think that, that at, at the time I got out, I was in peak shape. Um, I could outrun, I could outlift, I could, I could outperform, uh, in, in a CrossFit gym. I, you could put me on upper body round Robin and I could, I could do more than a lot of the young guys coming into the regiment. And I think if we've got senior leaders who are doing that and holding standards that high, it doesn't matter what gender they are, that, that standard is going to be the same. Um, you know, physiologically, there are some things women do better than men. There are some things that men physiologically do better than women. And, and PT wise, you can look at, you know, d- different events on how you evaluate that, but you should see your, your most elite women perform much better than your most elite men on some exercises and your most elite men perform better than your most elite or, or maybe with higher weight or maybe, you know, body weight to, to, to weight ratios, things like that with the different events. Um, we need a soft specific physical evaluation, not the army PT test, the army PT test, uh, or, or any, any of them, the Navy PT test. I mean, I've taken all of them when I worked on the joint staff with the, the people that worked with me. They're all kind of easy. Um, and, and they're not all, not a very good assessment of, uh, of how, how actual, you know, um, functionally fit you are. Um, they're, they're easy to do because they require nothing but a stopwatch. So, I mean, we get a good baseline of what people can and can't do, but you, you know, that, that doesn't tell me if I can throw somebody on my shoulder and, you know, carry them uphill and, and, and put them on a medevac helicopter. And I can do that over and over again for endurance. If I have a mass casualty event, um, which are things that happen in combat. But I, I mean, I, I think that if we if we select people that perform at that level physically, um, and we have one standard across the board, um, I, I mean, I, the, the conversation's not going away. Into your second part, it's culture. There's 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 a good old boy network, and and you know we've seen it. At, I'm, I'm old. I, I've seen it in the military academies. I've seen it uh, when we integrated the Citadel. Um, you know, we, we've seen it when we started bringing women into soft. Uh, we saw it a couple of years ago when we put women into ranger school and we're seeing it again now with integration into, into soft. So I, I think that, um, I said this when, um, when they integrated homosexuals into openly serving in the military, I said, this is either going to be a huge success and in, in a year or two, we won't be talking about it anymore. Right. Which is where we are now, or it's going to fail miserably and they'll, they'll do away with it. This is going to be the same way. It's going to be a huge success. And a year, two years from now, there will be women serving side by side with men performing valorously in combat. And, and we will have changed our perception. Um, and it's going to be hugely successful or it won't be. And there's a lot of reasons where that could be. And then, then the DOD is going to go back and is going to change it all. That's not going to change the culture, right? There's still going to be guys who, who think that, um, you know, and, and again, it's not a men or woman thing. I'm better than you. I'm better than, than everybody else. Uh, I, I had a, an individual terminate um, when they allowed homosexuals to openly serve in the military because he believed that strongly he would never serve with them in combat. Um, I thought that was childish. I told him that at the time. Uh, I thought we were better than that. But that was one guy in a battalion. So I, I think that going forward, you know, we're going to have those things that we have to shift, you know, the, the culture on the ODAs, culture within within the regiment. Uh, we're going to have some of those challenges that will be leadership challenges uh, dealing with, with co-integration in, in any type of, any type of unit. And, you know, let, let me ask you this. Let me ask Andrea, I'd like to get her, her opinion after she responds to your question, but, uh, <laughs> where, where does the responsibility lie for that? I think it lies with us. I think we have to change a little bit and, um, and police our own, but I, I I'd like Andrea's response on that. Yeah. I, I, I frankly think that, uh, policing your own, 
uh, would, would go a very long way. Um, one of, you know, we, we actually started this conversation talking a lot about not meeting recruiting goals. And, and I mean, the, my community hemorrhaged people and it hemorrhaged women because of the culture. And it was just getting, it was getting to the point where women would do three or seven or, or more years in the community. Um, seven years, you have to kind of go out, go back to the real Navy, and then you can come back. Um, but they were doing years and years and years in the community, still being treated like they were outsiders. Um, the level of accountability, if you were Trident, was much lower than um, if you were not wearing a Trident. You know, people getting in trouble, but not really getting in trouble. Um, and there was just this just very adversarial mindset um, that a lot of a lot of people basically said, you're like, wait, I am a badass and I'm going to go somewhere where that badassery is appreciated. Yeah, um, and, I, I agree. Um, I think very senior level leadership um, somewhat gets that. I don't know if they understand the extent to it. I don't think they understand the extent to which um, a lot of work really needs to be done, say, at the 05 level commander below and, and what is actually oh. happening on the ground. Um, within the Navy, we've had women in EOD, which is very close. We've had women in EOD for a long time. Yep. Um, and they're being integrated into BUDS and, and a lot of them are starting to take executive officer roles within the teams. Um, and they, I mean, they're having a hell of a time and it's all cultural. It's all yep. cultural. Yep. I've got some final points here that I'd like to ask you guys. And that's around the topic. And it's ironic that you brought it up about policing your own, because in this profession, especially with special forces, green beret, you guys are known as the quiet professionals. And so in looking at that, it certainly seems as though the females who have gone through, um, not even just this one who may be going through SFAS, who may be this way, but certainly those who have gone through ranger school seems to have at least laid out a, um, a way of expressing themselves as quiet professionals because they're not the ones that seem to be out there beating their chest and thumping it and showing how proud they are that they passed and become a ranger. They are flying under the radar because that's not what their whole uh, objective was. So that's one part of it. But the second part being that in the quiet professional world and everything, I believe that this is bringing more attention two special forces in specifically the green beret and the schoolhouse in a negative light. This is not supporting the army's objective, the mission and everything that's going on. This should be something that is handled just like everything else has been handled in house and dealt with. And this information doesn't become public so that it is supposedly tries to bring it down. I think is what they're trying to do and, and trying to make changes to the army and get them to rethink this whole thing because they made a mistake four years ago. So I want to get you guys' thoughts on those things to see um, how you believe this could be potentially adding negativity in this whole environment in a, in a different scale. Uh, I think it's really important that they, uh, I, I think it's important. I think what they've done recently um, is very important. And I think saying that a woman has passed and just saying like acknowledging her existence is critically important. 
um, because it, it, it signals to a lot of people, hell, it's, it's motivating as hell to me. Um, and I think knowing that women have, have passed, um, lets a lot of women know that they can do it. Um, I think it would also tell a lot of people who might be mentoring a woman who has the capacity to go into this, this field, they should go do it. Um, I think it's also quite wise that they have hidden the identity, hidden her identity. I think that was also quite wise when women started graduating in mass in, in infantry school as well. It's just, just let people go do their job. Right. Um, but but I, I think it's worth both celebrating and, and and observing that it has happened. Mike. Yeah, I, no, I, I agree. I, I think I think um, to your question, you know, you asked about uh, the quiet professional and, 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 and doing that. I think we've got to this is going to be unpopular. We've got to get away from that. I said this yesterday. Uh, somebody brought up as part of recruiting that he plays in a in a um, an adult baseball league, and and guys ask him if uh, you know you kick indoors when you're in combat. You kick indoors, like well, and he kind of he kind of hem and hauls around what he what he tells them about what a green beret is, what a green beret does, and, and I think if we are going to get a message out there that competes with naval special warfare, if we're going to get a, a message out there that that increases our recruiting of, of, of qualified candidates that come off of the street, um, or or you know. To, to, to sell who we are, uh, we have got to tell those cool stories. We have got to get out there and say, we're badasses. This is what we're doing. Um, or we're never going to meet mission. We're never going to meet mission, you know? And, and I think we do that very well within the, the ranks, man. When they see ODAs downrange in combat, living by themselves on a compound out in the middle of nowhere in Afghanistan and killing people and, and, and self-supporting their, their entire organization. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and on a, on a, on a, freaking phone call. I can get cast overhead. I, I am an entire army in combat. That's fucking cool. People need to hear those stories and, and people outside in the community need to hear those stories. They need to know what a Green Beret is today. Yes, we're force multipliers. Yes, we're teachers first. Yes, we're warrior diplomats, but we're, we're badass fucking commandos and, and they need to hear that story. Now, the guy on the ODA doesn't care about any of that. He doesn't care about recruiting. He doesn't care about the regiment's mission. He doesn't care about, you know, strategic long-term objectives in Iraq or Afghanistan or Syria. He cares about what's going on in his his little sector, his ODA. And I, I get that. I have a lot of time in that environment. And, and I remember, man, those guys up on the hill, they don't know what they're talking about. This whole institution, this whole great big spaceship flying around Fort Bragg is here to support my little piece of the pie. And, um, and that is just not fact. I mean, I, I understand it. I understand it's what you want it to be, but it is not the fact. And the fact is you are there as a very, very small cog in a huge operation that has strategic impact. Uh, and, and if you aren't manned to do that operation, you are not going to go. So I think that recruiting, back kind of full circuit where we started, recruiting is a huge aspect of it. Um, it doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum. We, we've got to we've got to take men. We've got to take women. We've got to take people who may not be initially qualified and train them to be qualified. Again, I think there's four qualifications: physically fit, can shoot, competent, trustworthy. If you can do those four things, I can use you on ODA. More importantly, my opinion as an old guy retired, it'll never affect me the way it affects the kids going to combat today. I've got a young girl who's in one of my classes, she's in my warfare class, who told me the other day she's enlisting to go to, to be a Navy SEAL. That's her goal in life, to be a Navy SEAL. I now have a talking point to go back to this young woman who's physically fit, right, and say, 
hey, look at this, right? As a as a member of the auxiliary for the Special Forces Command, I I, I can I and I try to recruit people in who I think can can do it anyway. Look at this as an option, as as something you want to do. Look at Army Special Operations Forces rather than Naval Special Warfare as something that you can do. You can contribute. You can be a trendsetter. And years from now, maybe you know they'll be writing books about you. Well, I think uh, what you said there makes a lot of sense because I can tell you that we had somebody from We Are the Mighty named Chase Millsap, who was an officer in the Marines that went went out and worked with an ODA in a combat situation. And once he witnessed that, separated from the Marine Corps and went into the U.S. Army and went through um, Special Forces selection in the queue and became Special Forces. So exactly what you're talking about. Once people begin to see it, it, it it's a pipeline, yet that information is not getting out there and uh, it, it should get out there a lot more. Appreciate both of you guys taking time out to join us on the, the show. Of course, Mike, uh, you're a regular on here. Uh, just uh, haven't seen you in a little while uh, with all your responsibilities out here in the 12, private sector. 12 weeks of football, man. That just, that's been crushing. Hey, can I make one last statement? You yeah. can roll in wherever you want to. All the negativity out there. I'm going to get hate mail. Uh, I'm going to get death threats probably from guys. Hey, all you fucking pussies out there that want to have a conversation, come to Colorado Springs. Let's get a beer. We'll talk about this. Uh, and, and you know, I, 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 I believe all the other things are true that you believe. Uh, and, and I just think that, that we are on a road that is going in a different direction. But get, get off social media. All you pussies that, that, that don't, uh, don't have tabs, leave me alone. <laughs> Fair enough. Y'all take care. Have a great one. You, you can crop that out if you want to. I don't, I don't Hell no. I, I am not cutting that shit out. <laughs> That's some good stuff. I'm going to hate mail. <laughs>